I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, this is High Resolution. I'm Seamus Byrne. Welcome to another episode of the show. I'm going to do a quick intro today because I'm chatting to Ron Curry, the CEO of IGEA, the Interactive Games and Entertainment Association, uh, the peak body here in Australia when it comes to representing the games industry. And uh, we've been working together uh, this year, kind of organizing a whole bunch of the interviews that you've heard so far with different game developers here in Australia in the state of the scene. But I thought it'd be really great to catch up with Ron himself uh, and look at how things have evolved, particularly the first half of this year being a weird, weird time. Um, We look at the fact that some studios have succeeded wonderfully in this window, but those who are in the middle of production have, of course, struggled a lot more because, uh, you know, it's just been that much harder to work on things. But we talk about that sort of stuff. We talk about the merger of the GDAA, which is the Game Developers Association, uh, and IGEA and what that means for the industry. And then also some pretty frank thoughts on the nature of kind of politics here in Australia right now and its attitude towards games. So I think it's a really interesting chat. Let's dive in. So yes, joining me today, uh, Ron Curry, CEO of the Interactive Games and Entertainment Association. Uh, Ron, you are the CEO, I guess, for the uninitiated. Yeah, can you explain to us what IGEA is and its role in the industry? Sure. Hi, Seamus. Look, IGEA, or the Interactive Games and Entertainment Association, is a trade body um, or association representing video game developers, publishers, distributors, and platform holders uh, in Australia and New Zealand. So essentially where the, I guess, the communications and government-facing association who speaks on behalf of the wider industry. Easy. Cool. So now, like, I think a really big piece of news from back in February was the idea that uh, IGEA and the Game Developers Association of Australia have also merged. So, you know, what does that kind of mean? What does it do for the industry now that there's kind of this unified peak body in this way? Yeah, look, that's been really exciting news for us uh, and something we've been working towards for a few years now. So, look... Going back some time, you know, the IGR or was IEAA back in those days represented publishers, um, distributors, and platform holders, and GDAA represented game developers. And back in those days, it was really easy to tell who was who. <laughs> yeah, it was a very clear delineation, right? But we've seen over the years that you know publishers are now developers, developers are, are publishers and distributors. 
um, and you know publishers are now retailers. So, so it's it's kind of um, the market kind of meshed itself up, and that clear delineation disappeared largely. Yeah. Um, and the work we were doing, and the work that GDA, GDA were doing, were quite similar, particularly on an advocacy and lobbying front. Um, and we worked really closely together, so we would kind of make sure our messaging was the same, um, and our you know our points of attack were the same, and we we collaborated on a whole lot of things. Um, and after a while, when you do that, you start to see, well, hang on, if we're collaborating on so much, are we better as one? Are we stronger as one yeah. than we are as two? And I think you know after after a while, and you know talking and working with each other. Um, towards the back end of last year, um, the GDAA board came to us and said, you know what, I think now is the right time. And, and that's true. It was the right time. Um, so now we have one unified single voice um, that when we go to government or, or go to other bodies, that we can be really confident that we say we represent the wider industry. Mm. Um, what it does, you know, for IGEA is we we now are lucky enough to have the arcade as part of our portfolio in Melbourne and also GCAP, uh, which is really yeah. exciting. Um, so now I guess we're one big team. All the all the GDAA team came into IGEA, so they're still there. They're now part of the IGEA team, which is right. really exciting for us to have them on board. Um, and I, I just think it makes for a clearer story both to people we want to be members and those we advocate um, to. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, when you go out to have a conversation with government or, you know, I guess any sort of body or organisation, um, like what's the kind of the, you know, the big picture number nowadays in terms of like, you know, how many uh, organisations are sort of, you know, members of the group? Um, you know, what's the kind of almost like the revenue dollar values and stuff that we were able to say, look, this is what the Australian games industry is today? Um, when we talk about the, the size of the game industry, we talk about the developers, yeah. essentially, because that, that's what's really important. Um, and what we tell, unfortunately, is a really sad story that, you know, we have an incredibly talented um, developer community in this country uh, that gets no support from the government. And what we do, we, we lay some really simple maths on the table. We go, you know what, there's about 1,500 game developers employed in Australia. You know what, there's 27,000 in Canada. Would you please tell us why? You know, and, <laughs> yeah. and that's where we start. That's where we start the framing. You know, we say, you know, Australia has around about one hundred and fifty million dollars worth of uh, revenue that comes out of those developers. Canada has about four billion. You know, yeah. So we're like we are like half a percent of the global revenue, and that's just. I don't know. Sure, I can't say that on this podcast. <laughs> that's not. That's not cool, right? <laughs> totally not cool. Um, and that's the message we take to government. We say, you know, and particularly if we look in the, in the COVID-19 times, we're, we're now in a part of an economy which is going to be rescued by export. Yeah. You know? and, and and we are a born export industry. We're born global. Yeah. You know, we don't have to rejig. We don't have to, to, to change. You know, when you create a game in this country, you create it for the world. Yeah. We're global ready. Um, and, we, you know, so that's the message we're taking to the government. Have a look what's happening globally. Why do you think Canada's investing? You know, why do you think each of their provinces and the, and the Commonwealth government there are so behind games? Why is the UK government behind it? Why is the American government? Why is the Swedish government? You know, I get dizzy with all the governments. <laughs> um, why not this government? You know, it's a, it's, it's a really 
tragic position for us to be in. Yeah. And look, I think we'll dig into that a bit more shortly. But, you know, I guess let's just think about 2020 as kind of as a moment. Um, it's uh, a very weird time. Um, so, you know, I think, but it's also a time where, you know, entertainment forms where people stay home and, and enjoy their screen media um, is kind of you know, bigger than ever. You know, what's your read on, you know, how this has played out so far for for the industry? Um, more broadly or, or quite broadly, it's been great. You know, I think what people have seen is the power of games and that's the power to connect, to entertain, uh, to motivate, uh, to create, um, just way beyond just this static medium to entertain. We've all seen the power that goes beyond that. Yeah. And, and that's and that's been fabulous for people who are product in the market as well. You know, there's been a great knock-on effect that if you've got product in the market, you know, the market has never been better for the take-up of product. Where it's been tough is for people who haven't got product in the market, who are missing milestones, who are missing access to funding, who have their teams now uh, are dispersed and productivity is diving. Yeah. You know, there's, I think there's a danger of us getting all hooked up in this, wow, things have never been better, look at revenue, it's soaring out. Um, yeah, it has been, and that's fabulous. But that's for the people who are lucky enough to have product in the market. So we, we need to be sensitive uh, and really cognizant of those who are struggling and those who are trying to get product into market. Yeah. I mean, look, that was exactly, yeah, my next question was was that idea that, you know, we've, I've spoken to a number of people like, you know, like SMG, sort of perfectly timed release uh, for moving out, um, yeah. you know, and, you know, I know sort of Ash even said he felt a bit bad about the fact that, you know, that they were so comfortably able to say to their team, yeah, we've, you know, we've, we've shipped. So we can actually yep. work from home for a little while. This is perfectly comfortable. Nobody has to worry about anything. Um, but exactly that, that if anybody else is in the process of trying to, to hit milestones, um, you know, we see that from the wider entertainment industry that it's like, geez, you know, are there going to be any movies that come out next year? There's, there's a bunch yep. in the, in the bank right now, but, um, yeah, what happens uh, when all of this production time has gone away? And as much as, again, it's a digital industry, it, it seems like, you know, that it is a collaborative industry as well and therefore people do need to get in a room together and not just kind of be separated. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's that shoulder-to-shoulder work when you're yeah, – I'm not a developer, right? <laughs> yeah. But, clearly. But, you know, you see the collaboration that goes on that, shoulder-to-shoulder, they're turning around and going, hey, what do you think it is? Can you help me with that? What is this? And those moments, and I guess there's there's a lot of serendipity happens in there as well. Yeah. Um, those moments are gone, and also you know on that theme, things like um, GDC and Gamescom, where also you have those serendipitous moments where someone goes, "Dude, I love that product," or "Hey, that's really cool. Do you want to collaborate?" Yeah, those are missing as well. You know, and so it's those those opportunities that um, come up in those that physical environments that people are missing and they're losing. Yeah. And so, you know, with something like the arcade, I mean, it's such a kind of collaborative space. It's that shared work kind of space. Has, you know, it essentially been closed during this time or, you know, is there, are there kind of strict rules on how it can operate? Yeah, we haven't closed the arcade at all. And look, and, and really credit to uh, Sav and Kerry who work there, who've, who've, you know, taken turns coming to work, you know, they've, They've ensured that the doors are open every single day. You know, every desk has sanitizer on it. Yeah. You know, 
all the kitchen, everything that needs to be done to make the environment safe, they've done. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's all you can do. You, you can <laughs> yeah. build the right environment and wait for everyone to return. And I know they're both really excited to get people back. We, we would love to have the place. Well, I haven't seen it since we've uh, since we've had the merger. I haven't yeah. been there. So. You haven't been able to go. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been able to go. So it, it'd be great when everyone does return. But um, yeah, it, it, the place is the place is largely empty, which is a real shame. Yeah. Um, and so, look, yeah, back onto the the issues around government support and, you know, everything from tax incentives and things. I've had a few chats that have brought this up lately. Um, but, you know, probably a good launching point is a positive, which is that there's been some really good news out of South Australia kind of just in the last few days. So can you, you know, I guess give us the, the you know, the the smart person's version of, you know, of what it actually is and what it says to the industry for this sort of, uh, I guess, um you know, kind of support to come in? Yeah, look, South Australia have had a 10% PDV in place for a while for the PDV industry, which excluded games. Um, and I think, you know... I'm so sorry, what's um, PDV is? Well, it's a post-digital visual effects um, subsidy in in effect. Um, and and it's it, it's been in place for that part of the sector who ironically use game engines and create movies about games. <laughs> yeah. And can so in South Australia, here's an example. Mortal Kombat the movie. Um, the production of the movie is eligible for a PDV offset. But if you were to create the game Mortal Kombat in South Australia, it wouldn't be eligible for it. Oh, all right? what a great example. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And, and and I don't think that's not by design. Yeah. You know, that's that's just by it's just what happened. And the good thing about South Australia is when you know a number of people have mentioned this to them. They actually sat back and went, actually, you know what? We we get that and we need to we need to sort that out. Yeah, great. And you know, the dealings we've had with um with the South Australian government and SA film um has always been quite positive. And just things take time with government. You know, it's a big engine, it's a big ship to turn around. But we've been really encouraged by uh, a lot of the work that's happening in South Australia. You know, it's it's with their with the hubs, their their focus on creativity, um, the government's attention to the creative industries as a whole, um, and, and making some obvious changes. So that's fantastic. And you know, we're slowly seeing that happening in some other states. We know Victoria has always been incredibly supportive of the, the video game sector. Um, Queensland similarly, we're seeing some great stuff in WA. Um, Tassie's always been quite positive. You know, we know it's a small state. Um, we need to get New South Wales over the line. Yeah. But we're, you know, we're, we're slowly working on on New South Wales. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And then there's the Commonwealth. <laughs> yeah, and then there's the Commonwealth. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So, you know, I feel like, um, I mean, well, look, and let's touch on another thing I saw pop up recently, but I didn't get to tune in for it was, I think there was like a discussion and game night thing held recently with some federal opposition reps. You know, do, do you kind of think at that federal level that like Labor is serious about doing more if they you know, get back into government one day? Um, I think I can confidently say that Labor are absolutely behind the video game industry. Yeah. Um, coming into the last election, we know we worked very closely with Michelle Rowland, for example, as the oh, yeah. Shadow Minister for Communications. Uh, they had a platform for supporting game dev. Yeah. Okay. It was, it was part of their charter. Um, the, the, um, kind of the Twitch stream last week was, um, was with playing moving out. Yeah. Was very cool. It was, it was Labor's way of starting the engagement with, with game devs, starting to listen. Uh, and there'll be a few more of those. Yeah. Um, so that that was really encouraging that Labor met devs where they live. Yeah. They talk to them where they are. You know, there's there's one thing about dragging yourself to Canberra and being this in this artificial kind of bubble or non-bubble, according to the Prime Minister. Um, but there's another thing about them coming to where you are. Yeah. And I know um, Tim Watts, for example, is absolutely keen to get involved with any gaming thing that's happening, particularly in Victoria. You know, he wants to get to the arcade. He wants to go out to Sledgehammer. He wants to visit EA. You know, he wants to go to Big Ant. You know, he's really keen on understanding um, how the sector works and getting much closer to it. And, and Claire O'Neill was the same, you know, really as the innovation shadow, really keen to know more about the industry. And I, I think those who tuned into the Twitch stream actually saw how much they knew about it, which was surprised a lot of people that they were genuinely informed about the industry. Yeah. I like the fact that Claire seemed like she was desperate for some competition and everyone had to point out moving out as a collaborative game. It's not... (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly right. So it'd be interesting to see what game they pick next. So I know she wants to slam Tim. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So in kind of a general sense, and particularly I think when we think about the federal issues, it's like... What do you feel like is the hesitation as it sort of still stands? Is it a cultural thing where there's still this kind of dismissal of the kid stuff, even though this is like a wildly popular entertainment export industry, as you sort of describe? You know, is it a broader kind of general, I don't know, like disregard for entertainment industries don't seem like they're really in the spotlight at all either. But um, where do you feel like the hesitation sits? I, I think it's cultural. Yeah. In a, in a large case, and you know, we've we've had conversations with different ministers with with varying degrees of of interest, and a couple of the fe- couple of things that get fed back to us is and and you know say some little tongue in cheek, but they're fed income conversations, is when a minister says, okay, um, two things. It's hard for me to get up uh, on a podium and say we're supporting an industry that makes games where you kill people. Okay, well, films do the same. Um, yeah. Then they say, well, you know, it's hard to get off you know, get up and have a conversation on a podium um, and have Master Chief standing next to you or nobody, you know. If we support film or music, you know, there's that halo effect when you're standing next to the Delta or you're standing next to, you know, whichever actor, Australian actor you, you, you want to pick. Yeah. Th- th- there's a halo effect to that. Pardon the pun. Um, yeah. <laughs> but there's not, there's not that same effect. Um, pushing a game, so I, th- I think it's cultural. I think it's that it's political that they don't see the political game. 
I think maybe Labor view it differently. They understand voters. They understand who votes yeah. and who plays. So I, I think, you know, they see that that differently as well. Yeah. Um, you know, and we also can't ignore the, how strong the film um, lobby is, for example, that, you know, if there's a pool of money and that pool of money is threatened, you know, all trade associations and groups just start jumping at, oh, hang on, hang on a sec. Don't start giving me money to video games. They're rich. Have a look at the money they're generating. <laughs> and that that that's a lot of the um, narrative we hear is, God, you are a $250 billion business. Why do you need our help? And, you know, my response is because we're not a $250 billion business in Australia. We're a $148 million business and we're missing out. Yeah. You know, this is a competitive landscape and we're missing out. Yeah, that's a really good thought. I almost, it makes me think that we need some, uh, you know, big new narrative games coming out of Australia where someone actually hires Hugh Jackman to do some voice acting on the game. And then, then they can have their <laughs> friend on the podium. <laughs> exactly right, you know. We'll put a call out, yeah. you know. <laughs> um, we, need a Hem- we need a Hemsworth, you know. <sighs> Fronting a game. Look, yeah. he's hanging around in his nice beach house up the coast. You and know, Byron, someone could know, take right? him a microphone and do some voiceover work. <laughs> Absolutely. Easy. Um, I'll yeah. just make a call out now, anyone from uh, – that doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess on a broader level, you know, are there other kind of big campaigns or recent research or, you know, things that are kind of being worked on at the moment? Uh, yeah. Uh, actually, today um, – we actually launched a, a publication called Game Engine, um, and it's looking at the opportunity to create at least a billion-dollar video game industry in Australia. So that that was launched today, um, and it's up on our website, igea.net, if anyone's interested. Um, and that will go out to all federal um, politicians, or not all, but targeted federal yep. um, politicians. And it's just, I guess, a bit of a statement and a manifesto um, we did a similar publication a couple of years ago now, which was quite, you know, a, a dense um, document and a pathway to funding. Um, this one kind of just revisits it, but it kind of made it's a little bit more punchy. Uh, and we'll be using it a lot in uh, with our lobbying efforts mm. going forward. And it's also a document that we encourage our members and just uh, anyone interested in, in funding to have a read and have it have it available and forward it off to your local MP. And say, hey, look, here's a real, you know, I'm in this industry or I'm interested in this industry um, and, and here's some real concrete ways that we can help it, you know, and point them back to the to the document. Mm. Um, we're working on similar documents um, next, which revolve around um, state funding. So, you know, because clearly states can do different things to, to the Commonwealth. So we focused on the states next. Um, in concert to that, we're working with um, DFAT around immigration. Um, so, you know, if we do oh, okay, get funding yeah. and we and we start to get um, some decent-sized studios here, the next problem is what do we do about talent? Yeah. Um, you know, if, to our mind is to have a full ecosystem, you need, you need all sizes of business in Australia. And if you've got a, a studio with you know, two, three, four hundred people or, you know, if we're lucky enough that Canada have 3,000, but a couple of hundred people, you need the staff who's experienced in running a studio with that many people. And and sometimes that means you need to import talent. Yeah. You need to import talent to train local talent. That's yeah. how you make, that's how you embed that local talent is by bringing someone to teach them. You know, it's quite difficult in Australia to bring talent into this country. Yeah. 
uh, you know, on the on our visa structure. So we're we're working quietly in the background um, with with DFAT and Home Affairs on what what is what is an appropriate um, immigration scheme for senior developers and not just developers but producers and, and studio heads. What does that look like, and how do we how do we make it easy? Now, I know I keep harping on about Canada, but they can turn someone around in four weeks to come into the country. Yeah. You know, it takes you four weeks here to find a bloody form on the website. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and look, yeah, I think, um, yeah, I'm pretty sure like Wargaming's just made a big announcement for running, a, like for building a full AAA title, I think, here in Australia as well. So, Yeah, and look, um, there's a couple of major publishers who are, who are sniffing around in Australia looking, looking to set up. And, mm. and if they do, that, they will need to, to kind of upskill the current staff here and, and, and that will require bringing some people in. But if that's too hard, it just, it just doesn't happen. And yeah. For the couple of big studios that are here, we, you know, we're constantly hearing the frustrations they're experiencing about, um, about having talent coming here yeah and it's like i've definitely heard in other conversations that people feel like you know that the the training pipeline here for kind of students is now actually really good and that you know like people are being well trained that there's you know like ex-developers who are kind of running things and like that there's a lot of kind of really well-skilled people coming out but that they often sort of talk that it's that kind of you know people at that couple of years of experience level that there's that gap to, you know, to find that sort of, yep. you know, like lower mid tier of people um, who aren't yet ready to run a studio or like, or head a team, but they still, they have that kind of really solid skill set. So clearly getting enough of those, and, you know, they all kind of seem to indicate as well. It's like, it's about having enough bigger studios for people to start building those kinds of skills and not just be in like little indie teams and stuff. That's right. And, you know, and, and even if, even if you don't, want to um, bring in external, you know, ex- expats. If you want Australians to return to Australia, so there's so many talented and experienced Australian um, staff who, who are willing, and we've heard, you know, there's there's WhatsApp groups and Discord groups of, of, of them who are saying, we're all ready to come back. Yeah. But if you say, okay, there's one AAA studio here or two. Yeah. If I come back and I'm not entirely happy there, then what do I do? Yeah. You know, yeah. There's no option. There's no other options for them. So that reticence to move back um, is there. So again, you know, I'll, I'll stay where I am. I'll stay in the US. I'll stay in Canada. I'll stay in the UK because there's options for me. You know, yeah. we need to create those options. And yeah. it's a bit of a circular argument, and it's chicken and an egg argument. But we need to we need to start it. Mm. Um, can you also just before we wrap up, give us yeah you know, rundown on the whole Digital Australia kind of research project, because, I mean, that's been a really sort of good long-term view of, you know, of the games ecosystem in Australia, including mm-hmm. kind of people who play, not just people who make games. Or It's explored a lot of things. And really, before that kind of first started, there wasn't really, you know, any kind of visibility of what was, you know, like people kind of had their stereotypes, I guess. But that's kind of done a lot to help people grasp the reality of, you know, what game culture is in Australia now, hasn't it? It has, and it's something, you know, we're really lucky that, you know, way back when, you know, Jeff Brand first suggested this, that um, the, the the board back then, the IAA um, board back then said, okay, let's give this a go. Let's let's pump some money into it and give you some trust on this. And, you know, we're now up to DA20, which is the 10th year, I think, or 12th year. This is the, the longest 
set of research of this type globally. Yeah, wow. Consistently. And and it has been an amazing um, piece of work. It's, it's you know, we, we get so flattered when we watch a TV show and, you know, a documentary and it's quoting our data or we get a government document to us quoting our data. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's been really valuable to, I guess, n- normalise um who plays video games, why they play video games, and getting rid of the stereotypes. And, you know, if we all remember this, this kind of the genesis of this was the lack of an R18. Yeah. Um, can we remember those days? Um, remember arguing and, with uh, with uh, uh, Wallace on the TV and uh, well, all those kinds of Ulster, fun times. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. You know, games are for kids and, you know, and, and, you know, they're only played by 16-year-olds, you know, sitting in the basement, and we just know that's crud, you know. Um, and so we, we continue. We we kind of get to the point where we go, should we do it again next year? You know, the average age of the game has only changed marginally because we're nearly at saturation point. Mm. You know, we know what the split is. We know who's playing. But I think it still has currency. I think it's still important to update it, keep it current, um, because now we're not the one. It probably gets used by many more people than IGR, you know, and it's surprising how, how many um, emails we get as we get to about the 12, 15-month mark going, where's next year? You know, where's the, where's the next one? <laughs> yeah. So you'd be pleased to know that um, I think next week we have our brainstorming session for Dan's 22. Yeah. So, yeah, it's already in the plan. <laughs> Excellent. So, look, for, for industry folks who are listening, general fans of the industry who are listening, give us a you know, message of hope for the future that, you know, leaves us with something positive to walk away with. Oh, look, the, the industry's in, in good hands, you know, we, and, and that's from a creative point of view. We've, the country is full of really talented, um, really passionate game developers making awesome product. The industry supported with a bunch of really motivated and exceptionally experienced executives, and that's across platform holders, um, publishers, distributors who are willing to support that developer base. Um, we've seen the state governments are really starting to ramp up their support of the industry, uh, and we, all of us, you know, are hopefully harnessed together by IGR, will continue to push that barrow with the feds, and you know, we're, we're going to get there. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.